and welcome to our Practical Workplace Issues podcast. My name is Ray Ban, and I'm an employment lawyer here at Carlton Fields. And uh, this is Quincy Bird, and I'm an employment lawyer in the Tampa office of Carlton Fields as well. And we're here today to answer any questions that, a few of the questions at least, of, that employers may have from a practical perspective uh, regarding COVID-19. So just want to say that this podcast is the for- first in what we hope will be a series that we'll be able to offer over the coming days and weeks to keep all of you up to speed on how to manage some of those issues that Quincy mentioned, some of the uniquely challenging workplace issues that a number of businesses are facing because of COVID-19. Right. And you will probably, if you're listening to this, you may have found this podcast at the Carlton Fields Coronavirus Resource Center. If you have not yet visited that, uh, definitely encourage everyone to go there. We have employment-specific content on managing suspected or confirmed coronavirus cases at work, what obligations are to employees in the face of temporary closures and shutdowns, and, of course, how to navigate these local, state, and federal quarantine orders and the new state and federal protective leave requirements, which is something we're going to talk briefly about today as well. Yeah, and our resource center also features two publications that are especially useful to employers navigating these issues are Practical Answers to Real-World COVID-19 Workplace Questions, Parts 1 and 2 are on the Resource Center, and they really both serve as a jumping-off point of sorts to our discussion today. Well, great. Well, today's discussion, we will take a look at the COVID-19-related guidance published by the Department of Labor, which uh, their most recent temporary rule was published yesterday, April 1st also happens to be the effective date of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or the Phase 2 sort of coronavirus response. And the DOL enforces both that act as well as, as many of our listeners will know, the FLSA and the FMLA as well. And we'll be talking about some of the recent guidance that the EEOC has published in this space. So the EEOC is the federal agency that is responsible for enforcing the Americans with Disabilities Act, Title VII, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, and uh, some other workplace non-discrimination laws. All right. So that's our our disclaimers and intro out of the way. Obviously, we want this to be informative, but also kind of interesting and engaging. So, so Ray, I think maybe you and I just will have a conversation and instead of kind of reading off slides or going forward and, you know, maybe let's just jump right in. Sounds great to me. So, Quincy, you mentioned DOL. What new guidance has DOL, as well as the EEOC, published in response to the COVID-19 crisis? Right. So they have both been busy, right? As you can imagine, we have probably unfair to say moving goalposts, but certainly there is additional guidance and specificity coming out of the agencies almost on a daily basis. So you can imagine when when something like this was was passed very quickly and, and trying to respond to the economic and obviously medical challenges of this time, they continuously get honed, right? And so there are issues regarding whether and how employers must pay employees and how they're going to manage paid and unpaid leave requests and what types of benefits must must be provided. And that's really, that's just the Department of Labor side. So, but before I get into the DOL stuff, I, I know the EEOC has offered guidance on EEO issues directly related to the crisis as well like what kinds of health-related questions you can ask employees and documentation you can ask for and expect to get during the crisis, and maybe also how to make telework available without locking yourself in to 
a new normal after this crisis uh, hopefully quickly subsides. So, Ray, you are uh, our EEO expert, so maybe let's start with that issue first. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great intro, Quincy. Thanks. So, uh, let me start with the telework issue. Uh, employers that are subject to the ADA not only have to make sure that they're not discriminating on the basis of disability, they also have, as I'm sure most people listening to this know, they have an affirmative duty to provide reasonable accommodations to allow uh, individuals with disabilities to be able to perform their jobs or at least the fundamental duties, the essential functions of their jobs um, effectively. It is not unusual for employees as an accommodation to ask for a change in their work schedule, um, such as allowing them to work remotely uh, and that sort of thing, whether or not others in the same job or performing the same function um, are typically permitted to telework. So in the midst of this crisis, this this kind of individual with a disability, has there been any guidance uh, or specificity on, on who's considered um, an IWD? Yeah, well, yes and no. So the EEOC um, has published written guidance. It also made available to the public last Friday a pre-recorded webinar in which it basically fielded and answered questions that had been submitted to it on a number of EEO-related issues uh, in the realm of COVID-19. And one of the questions that was posted in the webinar dealt with telework in the ADA. So the question that it posed, and I'll just read the question, that assume an employer grants telework to employees for the purpose of slowing or stopping the spread of COVID-19. After such public health measures are no longer necessary, does the employer automatically have to grant telework as a reasonable accommodation to every employee with a disability who wishes to continue this arrangement? So the EEOC's answer to this was pretty straightforward and pretty helpful. Uh, The EEOC said, and I quote, the answer, of course, is no. So um, that's helpful guidance to the extent that EEOC is clarifying sort of the limitations uh, on this obligation to provide reasonable accommodations in the context of telework. So the EEOC went on to explain that, you know, as we all know, anytime an employee requests a reasonable accommodation, you know, the employer has the right to understand the nature of the disability and the need for the accommodation. And, you know, on that point, we emphasize in our Practical Issues Client Alert Series that I mentioned earlier right. that the agency said that, you know, if other reasonable and effective accommodations are available, the employer is well within its rights to implement those as an alternative. So, in other words, the employer does not have to or is under no obligation to implement the employee's accommodation of choice, in this case, telework. Right. Yeah. So if you do have the company wide work from home arrangement going through the crisis, you don't have to continue once the crisis subsides. Is that essentially where they ended up? Yes, exactly. You don't have to continue it automatically. But to the extent that somebody asks to be considered for possible ongoing telework as a reasonable accommodation, you essentially follow the same process that uh, you would ordinarily follow in considering such a request. Got it. 
You know, I, I, I used to also, love working from home. I think after after this crisis subsides, I'm going to appreciate being in the office a little bit more. And I, I suspect there will be many members of the workforce that might feel the same way. Right, exactly. Um, I did want to just point out that the um, EEOC also clarified that, you know, during this crisis, things, you know, people are adjusting, employers are adjusting. And just because an employer may have excused an individual teleworking from performing a particular essential function that ordinarily would have been performed on the job, Mm. that doesn't mean that they have to do that on a going forward basis after the crisis has concluded or has ended, in other words. Yeah, it's fair to say if an employer says, well, it was different then because that was the great coronavirus crisis of 2020 or whatever, that's maybe going to be a a, a sufficient explanation in in certain situations. Absolutely, especially when it comes to the issue of essential functions. The ADA, nor does the EEOC, require an employer under any circumstances, to remove an essential job function as an, a workplace uh, reasonable accommodation. That's just textbook ADA law. So that's an especially important point that we should keep in mind when we're sort of readjusting, adjusting back to normal operations or to the new normal. <laughs> or whatever that looks like, right. Yeah. Well, great, Ray. Yeah, so, Quincy... Yeah, let's move on to, you know, the DOL and uh, paid sick leave and other new employer mandates coming out of Washington. What's going on sort of on that front? Right. Well, thanks, Ray. And I think everyone probably listening at this point has seen, at least from a a high level, the kind of uh, news coming out of Washington that, that for the first time it's mandating paid sick leave and later on some expanded family and medical leave provisions under this family's first coronavirus response act um you know and that these apply to certain public employers but private employers with fewer than 500 employees there is potentially an exemption available for private employers with fewer than 50 employees uh from the expanded FMLA provisions but it's important to note that that, that within the FMLA whereas 50 employees was generally the threshold for coverage, the presumption for the emergency provisions um, that were added through the recent act and are applicable only through December of 2020, the presumption is that all private employers with fewer than 50 employees would be covered unless providing these kind of expanded FMLA paid leave provisions would jeopardize the, the viability of the business as a going concern. We can get more into the FMLA, and particularly if you're a small employer wondering if you're entitled to this exemption, please reach out to us or we'll maybe cover that in an upcoming kind of micro-session or podcast here. So generally speaking, an employer of fewer than 500 employees, you're going to be looking at this new paid sick leave requirement. So which employees are covered, right? I mean, that's sort of the next question, if the employer is going to be covered. And really, emergency sick leave is the first 80-hour period starting on April 1st, and emergency sick leave will be available to all employees, regardless of part-time status or start date. You know, there is no waiting period for an employee. So essentially, if you worked before March 1st, you would be entitled to the emergency FMLA provisions, but for the emergency sick leave, which is kind of the, the phase that we're in right now, everyone's available. 
So, so let me just uh, ask yeah, yeah. a question there. So you said that this applies to employers with fewer than 500 employees. So what obligations do other employers have? So not the small uh, operations with 50 or fewer, but the companies and businesses with more than 500 employees. What are they supposed to be doing? Well, they're not addressed under the Act. I think the presumption and the intent of the Act was for these larger employee employers, I should say, uh, to have some type of safeguards in place and to be able to bear sort of the economic brunt that obviously the entire economy is feeling right now. So there may be other economic relief available to many of those companies, either under the, the Phase 3 CARES Act. But as far as whether or not they are mandated to provide paid sick leave, and then also entitled to draw down the corresponding payroll tax credit, which is kind of the the way this is expected to be paid for by the government and not fully borne by the employer, but those larger employers are not addressed by this act. Got it. So if I am a covered employer and I've had to close my business, at least temporarily, or you know maybe lay off or furlough employees, do I still have to provide them with leave or pay them? Yeah, that's a good question. The answer is no, right? And unfortunately, you know, some businesses are going to have to make that difficult choice or already have. If, if a business is shuttered due to a government order or if the business just doesn't have the demand that existed before all this started and has to temporarily, hopefully, close its doors, no, you do not have to continue paying your employees under the Act. The employees are entitled to leave if there is work for them to do. And there's no hard date in the act where an employer chooses to close its business. Again, if if there's work to be done, but your employees cannot come in to the normal workplace because of this crisis, then that is what the the act addresses. And, And those employees would either be compensated through one of the paid leave provisions of the act, or you can ask them to telework. Right, and that's maybe something we want to talk about too. Yeah, let's talk about um, telework and paid time off in the context specifically of these new laws that um, you're talking about. What does that mean? We were just talking about telework in the in the ADA context. What does it mean in this context? Right. So remember, um, our listeners may already be aware there are several circumstances under which employees are entitled to take leave under these provisions. Right. If you are sick or you are presenting symptoms, or you're trying to you know, keep yourself from becoming sick, that's, those are a couple categories. If you're caring for someone who is sick or is presumptively sick, that's another category. But the one I want, really want to talk about is hopefully the one that will impact the most people, right? Presuming that they don't get sick, but can't come to work because, I can speak personally to this, because your kids' schools are closed, right? Or daycare is closed. So in that situation, you are telework is going to be the option that many employees are going to want to be able to take advantage of and allow the employer to kind of maintain some type of normalcy and operation during the crisis. And so telework is defined in the act as essentially the work the employer permits or allows an employee to perform while at home or away from the normal workplace. You know, you work from home. It doesn't have to be working from home to be telework, right? But there's a degree of discretion that the employer has here. An employee can't come to you and just demand that they are permitted to telework. You know, there's going to be an adjustment period for most businesses, but it's likely that 
that conversation should be had with the employee because it could be better than no work at all. You know, and there's one interesting thing, actually, I should note, too, that the Department of Labor temporary rule, Ray, that came out yesterday clarified that also the employer does not have the obligation to supply the employee with the materials they need to telework. So the employee can't say, you have to provide me with a laptop or pay for my internet connection, et cetera. Telework from the employee's personal computer is fine under the act, but obviously it would be sort of a business question about whether or not there's, you know, cybersecurity or confidentiality issues associated with telework. So a lot of discretion, bottom line, a lot of discretion for the employer when it comes to, you know, permitting the, the employee to perform their job functions while at home or away from the normal workplace during this time. Well, that's really great information and clarification from the DOL based on those temporary regs that you said they published yesterday. I'm sure there's a ton of other, or I hope there's a ton of other clarifying and helpful information coming out of the regs. I imagine that we'll have an opportunity to take a closer look at those provisions and that language and talk about them in a future podcast. What do you think? Quincy. Yeah, I, I think so. And again, there's a lot of moving parts and quickly moving parts as this kind of uh, comes out. But, you know, and I think really the way the regs address teleworking, you know, applies to many employees, but particularly those that are hourly, right? Because it allows the employer to be flexible with the employee to to take the emergency leave intermittently if needed and to be flexible on the number of hours. You know, telework, again, and it can't be overstated, that the act treats it just like any other work, right? And so just like regular work, it needs to be compensated based on the actual hours that are worked. But it also puts the burden on the employee to keep track of hours. So just as you might require an employee to punch in or clock in when they arrive at the workplace, um, and if they don't clock in, an employer doesn't have an obligation to compensate for that time unless they knew or should have known that work was going on. The same rule applies for telework, right? That if you do choose to permit an employee to telework, it is okay to require them to keep close track of their time. And it's okay to tell them, if you don't log your time, I have no way to know that you're working and you can't expect it to be paid for it. And, and again, I, I should say this with the, the major caveat with the emergency sick leave provisions, if the employee can't telework, they are already entitled to take whatever daily amount is authorized by the act. You could potentially, as an employer, have them telework for a portion of the day in order to supplement that, say, for that fifth scenario where they're only taking two-thirds of their regular uh, rate of pay because their kids are unable to go to school, you could ask them to telework for that portion of the day. But under no circumstances, if an employee says, I can't telework, is the employer allowed to say, well, you got it. Excellent. And I think that's a great way to wrap up this first in what I said earlier, I hope to be a, a several podcast series on these issues and other emerging issues related to the COVID-19 crisis and some of the practical workplace issues that employers are dealing with. Thanks for being a great co-host, Quincy, and uh, hope to talk with you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to the Carlton Fields podcast series. For information and business guidance on issues related to the coronavirus, visit our Coronavirus Resource Center at carltonfields.com forward slash coronavirus.
This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening. 